This is the Grand Tapestry Podcast, brought to you by My Family Channel. Each one of our elder stories is a unique thread in the Grand Tapestry of American history. In this podcast, we will examine them one by one to honor them and to gain perspective through their experience. Hello, I'm Todd Smith from My Family Channel. We are here today with Miss Kelta Bellinger. Did I say that right? <laughs> okay. Almost. <clears throat> how, how would you say, how would you say it? Well, I guess I'd say it that way okay. too. <laughs> okay. Miss Kelta is from Magnolia Springs, East Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky, Derby City, USA. And this is the very first inaugural episode of the Grand Tapestry Podcast. And Miss Kelta is our very first guest. And we thought that would only be appropriate because she was one of the very first participants in our pilot program of the My Family Channel at Magnolia Springs. So thank you, Amy, and everyone at Magnolia Springs for all your support there. Let's uh, travel back in time to when Miss Kelta Bellinger came into this world. Tell us when you were born and where you were born, if you don't mind. I was born in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And at that time, the the, chant, the sign as you were coming into E-Town, as we called it, said there was 3,333 people wow. in Elizabethtown. Wow. And now I understand it's quite a city. I wonder what the population is these days. Well, it's almost, I think, connected to Louisville now. Mm. I think there's hardly any space in between. Mm -hmm. Just one big mm -hmm. urban sprawl. Yeah. So what year was that? 1925. 1925. Wow. That's amazing. So 1925, that was, uh, so I'm going to betray my lack of knowledge of history here. Is that World War One had happened, just happened? Well, I never knew anything about World War One. Uh, I heard very little. My sister, who was 13 years older than I was, uh, had played with her dolls, I understood, and talked to them about the war and about the soldiers and everything. But I never heard a word about that. And I always thought that was strange that I never really knew anything about World War I, mm. but I knew plenty about World War II. Okay. So World War I was sort of over with by the time you were born. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of had, had kind of gotten quiet. Nobody talked about it much. That's correct. I wonder why that would be. I know that my mother had the flu, that awful flu, and was in a hospital for six months um, wow. in Louisville. During the war? After the war. After the war. Mm -hmm. hmm. And you mentioned your sister. She was older than you, obviously. Thirteen years. Thirteen years. And how many other brothers and sisters? 
did you have? Then I had one other sister, and she was four years younger than I. Okay. But my sister that was older was, of course, at that time dating and knew people that were in the war. And um, I, I just got that from hearsay. I rode around in the back end of their car. You know, it had a rumble seat. Uh, uh, I don't yeah. know whether you knew about rumble seats. Well, but, I've heard of it, but <laughs> could you explain it, what that means exactly? Well, a rumble a seat. rumble seat was something that you opened up at the back of these little cars that had a seat in the front, just one seat, and then the rumble seat was something that you opened uh, up and climbed in to the back. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound very safe, does it? <laughs> and I rode around in that a lot and listened to everything. Music. Well, or conversation. Not, not music. Oh, con oh, you were a kid in the rumble seat uh, with listening. your older sister That's up front. That's right. Okay, I'm with you. So I don't know if you can talk about the things that you heard or not. But, uh, <laughs> but I heard plenty. Maybe they forgot you were back there. And <laughs> I was very quiet. <laughs> I bet you were. That's probably the best education you could have uh, hoped for, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is there, a, is there a rating on this podcast? I don't know. <laughs> so your sister would have known people maybe who went away to war. Yes. In fact, I can think of one, a young man that I remember because from that rumble seat, I would hear, and I know he went away to the war. And then one of my cousins uh, was in the war, I remember. Mm. So then, so 1925, the next big... American historical event would probably be the Depression, right? Yes. So you would have been about, what? Four? Six or seven. Okay. Oh, 33? Was it 33? Mm -hmm. um, so do you have memories of that, what that was like in Not your house? Not really. We never suffered from anything. Or if I suffered, I never knew it. Okay. Uh, I know my father was always worked. Uh, he was a poly, politician. Oh, okay. And uh, when I was born, he was county school superintendent. And then after that, he was county clerk for Hardin County. Huh. He was jail, uh, a judge. And uh, I never really knew anything bad about the Depression till later hmm. when I was told that my mother and grandmother had bought a machine for making blankets, and they thought they could sell them, and they found out they couldn't a weaving machine. Now, what that was, I have no idea, but I know it did not work out, mm. and they were very sorry they spent the money on it, mm. and they thought they could sell things and raise money. 
during the Depression. So you were young enough that maybe all of that was going on, <laughs> you know, and you weren't tuned into it. That's right. Maybe. Well, that's, that's good for your family, that you didn't feel it too much. No. This is sort of why we're doing this. You know, World War One, the Depression, World War Two. We, you know, our our generation can read about these things in the history books, but you were there, <laughs> you know. So we really want to try to see it through your eyes and and learn what that was like and how we got from there to here. And the only thing I remember about food at that time is, and this was during the war, not. Well, I guess the Depression had been before the Second World War. Um, I remember making butter out of, it looked like lard, and we got orange pellets that we put in it to cover, co color it. Huh. And uh, I remember we had plenty of butter because I lived on a farm, and we had cows, and we had the butter, but that went, we couldn't use it. We used, we called it oleo. Oleo, I've heard of oleo. that. Why, yeah. Now, why couldn't you use butter? I don't know how it went. I've often wondered about that. Why, we had plenty of butter, but it was sold, and it was for the war effort. Oh, maybe that you sold the butter and yeah. then used the oleo at home. Yes, we had the oleo at home. But you made you made that you mm -hmm. made the oleo. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So you lived on a farm. So you had did you plenty have, of vegetables? Okay, and um, meat because we raised animals. Uh, so we didn't suffer at yeah. all from eating. So you, did you have, now, you know, the city slickers among us will find this fascinating. Did you milk cows and feed chickens and do now, stuff like that? <laughs> I did feed chickens. <laughs> you did feed chickens. I did feed chickens, but I really didn't milk cows. But you had cows? Oh, sure. We had a dairy. When I was born, we had a dairy. My father ran, uh, would take the uh, products, the milk, into Elizabethtown on his way to work. Huh. And sell it. And Yes. That, that, wow. So what, what I'm hearing is, you know, your butter goes to the war effort. You're making oleo at home and eating that instead of butter your father selling the milk on his way to work. It sounds like you had a very resourceful family. Your mother bought a uh, machine to make blankets or something. Yes. Maybe that didn't work out, but it sounds like your family was very resourceful and adapted to the depression and survived, came through it okay. Yes. That's great for you as a six-year-old because <laughs> I know a lot of people didn't have that kind of experience. Let's move forward a little bit then. So depression, then I guess we get up to World War II. You must yeah. have been, you must have been what, 15, 16, 13. 13. And, and every 
good friend that I had was killed in the war. Oh, wow. That is still an impossibility for me to, to hear these war stories because I remember them so well. Mm. All my friends, all the young men that were in school with me were killed. I never could understand why Hardin County had such a high rate of young men that died. I could name them to this day, and there were just one after the other that didn't come back. And then I know two that were prisoners, and I saw them after they came back. But the boy I dated was killed. Mm. And he must have been 18, 19 years old. Yes, that's exactly. Wow. Were they drafted or did? Yes. Well, a lot of them, when the war started, uh, they enlisted. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they knew was... they would be drafted, and they just went ahead and enlisted. So there was a, was there a patriotic surge? There was a willingness? Yes. To, be, to enlist, and, and I guess 1940, 1939? No. 41? Yeah, 41. Was it, you know, Hitler, and, and was it the Nazi, like, we're going to go fight the Nazis kind of thing? Or was it, that wasn't until a couple of years yes, later? Yes, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, the way it was thought about. Because it was it, Japan. It was, we, yes. Japan, yeah. We had had that. Hmm. So, no, you just didn't know young people that didn't go. Um, I had one of my first cousins was the only son on a big farm, and he was 4F because of that. 4F. Uh, Is that a... That was... Army code or something? 4F was the ones that didn't go to war. Oh. That didn't... But usually that was because of an ailment. You know, bad eyesight or something like that. No one wanted to be 4F. Oh, okay. That was not a good thing. But... He was, um, I don't know what they called those that the, com the country decided not to send because they felt he was needed on this farm. Hmm. His, his father died. His mother was running the farm, and it was a large farm. And he, they did not accept him when hmm. he tried to enlist. And he did try. Hmm. So being 4F was sort of like you didn't want to be 4F because that That's was like right. saying you're not good enough or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe they wanted him back on the farm growing food for the... That's what. That's why. But there was a word for that, and I've forgotten the word. 
I can't mm. think of it. I don't know. When they were um, not taken, mm. regards of that. I just can't get past this, you know, how that must have seemed to, a, you know, a 16-year-old or a 13-year-old person, just all of a sudden, all these people that you knew and were close to just going overseas and not coming back. I mean, we've got some, some young people here with us today, Gracie and her sister, Emma. Can you imagine, you know, can you imagine like all those guys that you know at school just... Suddenly they're gone. Yeah. In the first place, they were gone because they were drafted and in the service and all over, they had either either gone overseas or they were in camps someplace. And then when, and we always knew, that's another thing. We had a lot of good knowledge about where everybody was. I can remember where the, and I can remember his name to this day, Louis Hagen was the first one I knew, and he was in one of those vessels where they were attacking mm. from the vessel. And On he a was, ship? Mm-hmm. One of the landing ships. Oh. I was a freshman in high school then, and he had been a senior uh, and had gone into the service, and mm. he was an, uh, had studied and was an officer on one of those ships. And he was the first one that I knew that was killed. Mm. That's so sad. I'm very sorry about that. I, I just can't imagine processing that as a young person on that scale. We always wondered why so many people came from that section of Kentucky. My husband then when I got married, he couldn't believe that everyone that I knew had died in the war. And he said he went to a high school that had over 200 in the gradu- graduating class, and he didn't know one person that died in the war. Hmm. So you think there was a disproportionate I always wondered about that. Hmm. This is all part of our history. I think it's important and great for us to talk about this stuff. And so, when the war, when the war ended, tell us what that was like. Was it parties in the streets and just celebration around the clock, and everyone so relieved and so happy? And I mean, I can't think of an event in our lifetime that would have rivaled that sort of national feeling. You know, I I just can't say a lot about that. I don't remember anything except everyone was so happy it was over. Okay. And hoping that a few more would come back. Yeah. And but so many, and there's a book I know in Elizabeth Town that tells all the ones that died mm. during World War II, and it was just unbelievable. Mm. Wow. It's 
So that was the thing. I don't think there was that much celebration because there were so many that didn't show oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and probably a sense, was there a sense of, uh, surely this will be the last big war? Yes. You know, it's over with. That's what I hoped. And then, and then it was just war, war, war. Well, yeah, because then you had Korea mm -hmm. and then Vietnam. Yeah. And were you in... Were you in E-Town for... No, I was... Uh, I never lived in Elizabethtown after I was married, but a month or two. And... Um, I can't say uh, much about Vietnam because I had a son by that time mm. that was in the seminary, and he did not go to Vietnam. And he had to work in Louisville in a hospital uh, to serve his service mm -hmm. uh, because he was not drafted. Well, I know you're glad about that. His father was never glad about it, I can huh. tell you. His father thought it was awful because he didn't serve. Mm. But the boy was had been in the seminary all through his growing up days. And he was a conscientious objector. Okay. That's the word I couldn't think about for the other. Okay, Conscience, conscientious objector. So someone who on principle yes. refuses to go or, or gets, exempted gets exempted from going. And of course, since he'd been in the seminary, it wasn't hard to prove that he was a mm. conscientious objector. Sort of like a nonviolent mm -hmm. uh, stance. So he had to serve about three years uh, in hospitals around Louisville. You know, this, I mean, so from the time you were a child. a child all the way up, you know, to early 70s, it was sort of a lot of war. <laughs> That's right. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that, I mean, we don't think about that, but that shaped a big part of your life. It certainly did. Um, and then the 50s, we tend to think of that as sort of like a golden age, right? Like World War II is over. You've got, you remember that TV show, Happy Days yeah. with Richie and the Fonz. And <laughs> I mean, <laughs> was that accurate or was that? Just well, Hollywood. You know, during that time, I was having babies so fast <laughs> that I don't remember much about the happy days. Okay. <laughs> they were busy days for you. Very busy days. How many of those babies did you have? Ten. Ten. Wow. And that's, that's amazing. That's truthful. <laughs> I, I, I had all ten. <laughs> I, I just, I've got two. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. <laughs> T 
two two wore me and my wife out, you know. So <laughs> ten is just incomprehensible to me. I don't know. Um, they were good. They were good children, but they were children, yeah. and they were normal. <laughs> I guess if you space them out right, you can get the older ones to watch the younger ones. And well, that's the truth. <laughs> I had a, I had good children, and then we ended up with the princess for number ten. Oh, okay. Is that Anne? Yes. <laughs> so. Anne is the front desk person at Magnolia Springs East. So that's nice having her there, right? It certainly yeah. is. Yeah. Hi, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see here. You want to talk about your husband, what he did for a living? and He was a chemist. A chemist? He had his doctorate from Notre Dame in chemistry. Sounds like a smart man. Yes. He married me. <laughs> Very smart. Very smart man. I would love to hear about, I mean, you lived in the days before, I mean, forget computers, you lived before television. Uh, yes. You remember a time when there was no television. That big, one of those little bitty TVs. Little bitty screen, six okay. inches wide, and a big, a big furniture console around it, right? No, this was really little, and you were you could move it around. The first one that that I remember. So was that like a, a just seemed like something from science fiction, and the whole family crowded around this little screen to watch? Was it Walter yes. Cronkite or what kind of shows? Was it news or? You know the funny thing about Louisville that I hope gets brought out in this is that we had awfully good TV early. We had some of the best children's programs. Huh. I've never seen children's programs since when I watch TV that come any place close to the ones we had. And those were produced in Louisville? Produced in Louisville huh. and Louisville actors. I did not know that. It was wonderful, and maybe somebody else could tell you the names of them. I didn't think about this, so I didn't. I can't. I don't have the names right. At. So, what did you all do, young people today? I have a daughter who's 18 years old, okay, and she is on her phone all day. You know, looking at a little screen and a computer, and you know. Instagram and everything, but what did you all do? Well, we read books. Read books. We read books. What a concept. <laughs> and uh, Like with paper and actual holding a book. Yes, we read books. I love it. And we, were, we always had um, the library came to us. Even when we lived outside the city limits, we had the bookmobile. And people got books, and you know people are reading books again. That's, if you see that lovely new library that's been built here in Louisville, you'll know. Where is, where is that? The Northeast Library. Oh, I don't even know about that. I'm going to have to check it's that out. It's gorgeous hmm. and unbelievable. 
even had a sewing machine in it. That when I got to that, that ended. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. People can go in now and mend their clothes or make clothes at the library. At the library. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> huh? I, so it's almost like it. The library's trying to come up with, you know. The library has really reinvented mm -hmm. itself. Well, it makes sense, you know, because if you're in charge of the library, you're trying to think, how do I get people to come to the library when everyone's stuck on their phone all day, right? Yeah. And their computers. Do you think that people are, the technology connects everyone all day, every day. The whole world is connected through these devices. But from your point of view, living before that and now after that, do you feel like people are less connected now or more connected? Even though they technologically can be connected, it seems like there might be also some isolating that's happening because well, of the technology. Well, I can tell you, this is just my own uh, feeling. Mm -hmm. I hate people bringing those phones to the table. Mm. And they're doing that all the time now, bringing the phones. Well, I'm talking about the dinner table. <laughs> and there it is, the phone's ringing. They get on their phone talking to somebody else. Yeah. And conversation's gone mm -hmm. while they're on their phones. It, it is rude, isn't it? I think it's rude. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I don't want to say kids today. I mean, they... but this is not kids I'm talking about. Oh, I'm talking about ninety-year-olds. <laughs> so everybody, no age limit on that one. No, it's a great. And point. I've been wanting to say this, and now I'm getting a You've chance got a microphone. to Go for really it. <laughs> say it. I think it's rude and disrespectful. All right. Well, I will agree with that, and that's on the record. Okay. Okay. We'll put that out for you. So we get into the computer age. We get into the Internet age. What's your thoughts about how has technology affected your life? Do you feel good about it? Do you find it annoying or confusing or frustrating? Or I know it's a pretty broad question, but just to sort of... Well... I really think there's so many things that I love to read about in National Geographic. Uh, I think it's wonderful in so many respects, you know? You, you know what's right around the corner is uh, flying cars. Yep. Have you read about that? <laughs> no, not flying, but cars that drive themselves. Mm -hmm. Autom automatic is already here. Yeah. Well, that'll, <laughs> that, that's a little hard for me to ever think I'd be telling a yeah. car where to go. But. Would you ever get into a car that drove itself? Well, I might have to. <laughs> and I would. I would. Yeah. I'd, I, if they think enough about it that they think it works. I think they wouldn't want to pay the bill if it didn't work. Well, that's a good point. But, you know, people 
human beings can have a bad day, they can be angry, they can be tired, you know, they can make errors and cause an accident. Yeah. But computers, computers don't get mad. They just do everything you tell them to do, you know, so. So I hope the right person is telling man <laughs> what to do. <laughs> you hope the person is programming your computer is not having a bad day, right? That's right. <laughs> Well, Miss Kelta, to wrap it up here, you've got the microphone, you've got the floor, you've got the stage. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest or get out there and let, let the world know about? No, but I want to thank you what you did for Magnolia Springs. And that's wonderful. I, get, I wake up in the morning, and this is almost, I can't say 100%, but very close to 100%. I have pictures from the grandchildren, the great-grands all over the country, all over the world. Wow. I get pictures from Germany. I get people pictures from Japan. And I get pictures from any place they happen to be, and they all happen to be lots of places. Huh. So... I think it's wonderful. Oh, well, that, that makes me very happy, and I'm, we're very glad to hear that because that's exactly why we created it. Yeah. You know, so it could do that for people like you. So, And it works. Good. Well, I, I remember in the very, very beginning. <laughs> I remember. You, you challenged me, you know, and you said, do your best, but I'm, I don't like that stuff. I'm not going to use it. You know, you're wasting your time. Well, so, I got, I'd only been in that place two days oh, yeah. when this descended on me. Yeah. And I knew I didn't know anything yeah. about computers or anything like that. And I thought, how in the world <laughs> would I be making, giving uh, ideas? <laughs> when I didn't even know what we were talking <laughs> yeah. about. I know it, it all seemed new and strange, but I made a, a mental note to myself that, that, I was, that you were going to be my, uh, my mission. I was going to try to <laughs> get you to try it out, and, and so we had a happy ending on that. So That's right. All right. Well, Ms. Kelta, thank you so much for making the trip to downtown Louisville. Thank you, Amy, for, for facilitating and, and bringing her. And I guess we'll conclude episode number one of The Grand Tapestry. You have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Grand Tapestry Podcast, brought to you by My Family Channel. Please visit us at myfamilychannel.com and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening directory.